This season, we're highlighting other indie shows telling our stories. The Stoop podcast is stories from across the Black diaspora. They're in their fifth season and digging into complex conversations that we need to be having from a global Black perspective. Check them out wherever you listen to podcasts and at thestoop.org. Hey, welcome to You Had Me at Black. I'm Martina Abraham Zalunga. Before I dive in, you should know that this story deals with loss, addiction, and suicidal thoughts. It comes from Blake. In 2015, he was fresh out of grad school and figuring out what's next. Then, a devastating loss sent him on a tailspin, unraveling everything he had tried to hold together by a thread for too long. Something had to change. Here's what happened. So, I guess, you know, black girl magic and all that good shit, I am definitely a motherfucking mermaid. I took my shirt off, I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. But they start taking everything off, I was like, niggas don't skinny dip. Black women are healers, and nobody can tell me any different. You're listening to You Had Me at Black. It's August 2015. I'm in a relationship, living with my fiance in Chicago. Me and my girl at the time, we had been together almost eight years by this point. I recently graduated from grad school from FIU down in Miami. I don't have a job. Starting to really struggle with depression because life was just hitting me and I'm out of college for the first time. It definitely had a strain on my relationship. And I realized I couldn't do this anymore. I called my grandmother, who lived in Springfield, about two hours south of Chicago. My grandmother was like my white on my rice. Okay. My grandmother was like the peanut butter to my jelly. She understood me more than anybody else in this world. So I called my grandmother. I'm like, hey, mommy, what's going on? She's like, hey, baby, what's up with you? And I just began to explain to her, like, you know, I still ain't got no job, still broke, and I just don't think that I could be the man that my fiance at the time wanted me to be. And my grandmother's response was, well, in life, you have to learn to either push through or move on. And you can either push through where you're at right now and continue to find a job and just deal with what it is you have to deal with or you can move on if you want to come home if you want to come here you got the extra room it's all yours still the way still how it was before you left and so i told her i was like mommy okay um i'm gonna go ahead and book this train ticket and i'll be home in a couple days and two days later I was back in her house, back in Springfield. So I had been in college for two years away from her. So being around her was a beautiful experience because we were able to bond and reconnect. One day I'm laying on the couch, just watching Wendy Williams. And then here comes my grandma, like doing the dance and singing the intro to Wendy Williams. I'm like, what is going on right here? And she's like, I love Wendy. I watch her every single day. And so from that point forward, it was like, wow, like 
I really am going to try to relish in this moment because something else that I had noticed was I had noticed how much she had aged in two years. She was 66 at this time. Um, and it wasn't by much, but I noticed that she was moving a little differently. November 7th, I woke up and I heard her crying and I heard her like moaning, like she was in pain. And I went in there to check on her. I was like, hey, grandma, you know what's going on, mommy? How you feeling? And she was like, I'm fine. I'll be okay. You know, she did have migraines. She did have health issues before. So I didn't think nothing of it until maybe a couple hours later, I woke up again. She was still in pain. And so I called my mom and my mom kind of said the same thing. My grandmother was saying, which is she'll be fine. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And by about 11 o'clock noon that day, um, it was pretty bad, and I called my mom again. I told her, I said, one of two things is about to happen when we hang up this phone. Either A, you're going to tell me you're on your way here to help me deal with this, or I'm going to call an ambulance because at this point, she's not even answering my questions. She's not even fully coherent, and I could tell that there's something really wrong here. Shortly thereafter, we eventually took my grandmother to the hospital where we found out she had a stroke. Um, she ended up being in the hospital for about four months. Fast forward to my birthday, February 20th, 2016. I woke up. I was so numb. And I didn't want to feel anything. My phone rang. It was about 7.30. It was my mom, and I knew why she was calling me. I was literally just, like, standing there looking at my phone. I answered it. I could hear the voice. Like, it was just, like, confirmation when I heard the sobs and my mom's voice on the other line. My grandmother had passed away. I was still numb. I pulled up to her house, sat outside for about a good five, ten minutes. And once I finally got the courage to go inside the house, I just sat there on my bed and just kind of looked around and kind of just the silence in the room in the house was different. It seemed very loud because I think at the time I was realizing like, wow, she's never coming back. She's never going to be in this house with me. So this silence is going to be ongoing. And as I was sitting there, um, I looked over, I saw the bottle of Jack on my nightstand, and that's just when it was just like, an immediate reaction, it was like no thought to it. I just grabbed it and just started drinking. And over the next two to three days, it was just drinking, maybe a little bit of eating. I found myself very isolated from the world, yet my friend was always checking on me, one of my really good best friends. I called her and told her I need to go run some errands, get some food or, or something like that, maybe get some more alcohol, but she comes and she does it. We're sitting outside and my friend, she looks over at me as she puts her car in park. She's like, you know, I know you're dealing with a lot. I know your grandmother just passed away. But as your best friend, I need to be honest with you and let you know that your drinking 
is a problem. You stink. You look like a drunk. I know you're grieving and you have every right to be, but I don't want you to keep drinking the way that you are. And I also don't want to keep coming over here to take you to the liquor store to buy alcohol. Um, I want to be there for you. I want to help you through this process, but I also don't want to enable you to self-destruct either. And I understood that. It was also like, I realized too, hearing her say that, damn, I do have a problem and alcohol is not healthy and I am abusing it. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know how else to cope. Although I did make a shift based on our conversation, because I did start showering again, but the drinking didn't stop. It just kind of fueled. I would wake up in the morning, drink a little bit to get my energy going and then go about my day. I eventually um, land a job in Atlanta as a teacher. On the outside, everything was looking up. I was able to get a car in Atlanta and things were going good, but the alcohol was still there. I used alcohol as a way to control my feelings and my emotions. When I would be at home and I would start to feel too much, I would drink. Sometimes I would drink to get drunk so I could pass out and go to sleep. When I finished my teaching certification and I started a new school year, I wanted to move up in my career. I wanted to progress. And I'm standing in my kitchen. Mind you, it's like seven o'clock in the morning. And I remember throwing the bottle of wine into the trash can. And so it's dead silent, not only outside, but in my house. And as soon as I threw the bottle into the trash can, I heard it clatter against all the other bottles that were in my trash can. It was in that moment standing there with the silence, but the, but the sound of the bottles that I realized I may have a problem. Hearing that, I started to feel like a failure because here I am, I'm a teacher, um, recently fully state certified. I have a really good reputation within my school, amazing phenomenal rapport with my students, but behind the scenes, I'm an alcoholic and my alcoholism was causing me to do things that I knew I shouldn't have been doing. And so I had lost like 20 pounds. I was down to 130 pounds. Um, I was on seven different medications. I wasn't sleeping or eating properly. My house was a mess. My assistant principal at the time told me the death of your grandmother is not a good enough excuse to miss all this work. And so I knew I had to heal. I was eventually led to make the decision to quit my teaching job. I started therapy shortly thereafter to manage my drinking because I knew I had a problem. And going to therapy really opened the box to many more of my problems. My story begins in September, 2020. I'm months into the panty, and Corona has taken a lot, including my energy, creativity, and sanity. 
One day I plopped down with my notebook, willing something, anything to come out. I've been saying that I wanted to write a book and since I can't really go anywhere, why not try now? But the page stays empty. My anxiety and loneliness seeps in, dimming whatever creative spark I may have had. My roommate Jasmine walks in and asks me to help her move some furniture. Where does she get the energy? I'm squatting to pick up the couch when she goes, eh, you know you've been doodling in your notebook for hours. <laughs> Hardy har har, Jasmine. I tell her, look, honestly, it's a little scary how little creative energy I have. Jasmine nods. She's like, yeah. Living through a pandemic will exhaust you. But it wasn't just that. The world has been on fire for months now, and I'm craving a way to express how that and everything makes me feel. The problem is, I don't know where to start. Jasmine gets this excited look on her face. I recently saw something that I wanted to sign up for. I think you should too. It's called the kinship. The what? The kinship, she says. You know the podcast you had me at Black? Yeah, well, their team created it. It's a digital community designed to nurture your inner creative and give you a creative outlet. They got workshops, creative sessions, virtual meetups, and creative prompts to get your creative juices flowing. It sounds dope as hell. Y'all, I run to my room. I'm signing up now, I shout behind me. Finally, some hope and some inspiration. Take it from me. You may be on lockdown, but your creativity doesn't have to be. Join the kinship at www.youhadmeatblack.com slash kinship. Fast forward a year later. I get a bartending job, only making $9 an hour. I haven't drank since at least two or three months. I was in therapy going for an hour a week, but even though I was in therapy, I wasn't taking it serious. So I'm living with a roommate and we got into a really heated argument. He kicks me out. And for the first time in... A while, I would say at least six months to a year, I started to have thoughts of suicide again. I go to stay with a friend for a few days, and it was one of those moments where I was getting off work. I had to drive an hour and a half back to my friend's house. I really didn't want to, only to turn around and have to be back at work at like 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's already like, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. So it was like a six-hour window that I was just in a, in a very bad place. I'm in the car, driving home, and I was smoking, smoke, smoking a, a joint at the time, and it just wasn't numbing the pain enough. I was crying. I started to become a little bit hysterical to the point that I, I got off the highway and... I was like, I need something to help me calm down. Like, this isn't, this isn't going to work <laughs> just being like this. I need something to regulate these emotions because I, I can't even drive. Like, that's how hard I was crying. Just coping with the fact that technically homeless, this job I have, it's, I'm only making $9 an hour. 
Um, I felt very alone. You know, I didn't have my grandma to call in that moment. I didn't have anybody to call in that moment. Relationship with my family was estranged. I found the, the corner store where they were serving alcohol and I bought a bottle. I knew I probably shouldn't have been doing that, but it was I needed to do something. And it was something that was familiar to me. I wanted to drink because I didn't want to feel what I was feeling. Taking that first drink, it felt like a sense of relief in a sense. I opened this bottle and started to like chug. Just sit there in a the parking lot and eventually just passed out, which is what I wanted. I'm smoking every day, drinking every day. I'm having about two or three drinks a day, generally after work. Staying with different random people here and there. A couple weeks after I got kicked out of my roommate's house, I get sick. It started with being very nauseous and not being able to keep food down. Vomiting, which the vomiting eventually got worse and worse and worse. To the point where I couldn't even keep water down for more than five minutes. At the beginning of the third day, it was like four or five o'clock in the morning. I woke up. I threw up. And then I had to use the bathroom as well. There was blood coming out of all pores or all both holes of my body. It was just terrible. It was absolutely horrible. My homeboy at the time, he wanted to call the ambulance. And I was like, <laughs> I don't have no insurance. Like, I'm not trying to go in the ambulance. So <laughs> if you want me to go to the hospital, you have to drive me. When I was in the car on the way to the hospital, hearing the sound of the highway and just the wind going against the car as we drove over there. Mentally, I was like, is this the way I'm going to die? Because I really didn't want to live. Like I had been having suicidal thoughts for a minute up, up to this. When we arrived to the hospital, I was in the lobby for all of five minutes before I was vomiting again and again and again to the point to where they just took me into a room. Creamy tan walls, squares in the ceiling, bright fluorescent lights. It was so fucking cold. So fucking cold. The blankets that they brought me weren't even helping. I was just laying there, agonizing pain, just miserable, like physically, mentally. A part of me was thinking like, if I'm gonna die, can we just hurry up and speed this up? Because just I was just in a lot of pain, like mostly physical, but also mental as well. 20, 30 minutes, doctor comes in. And I remember when we made eye contact, the seriousness in his face was kind of what struck me. It's just like, oh shit. So the doctor looks at me and says, your liver and your kidneys are not functioning properly. We don't know if they're shutting down or what's going on. You have some sort of bacterial infection in your body, obviously causing the vomiting and diarrhea. We're going to admit you um, at least for the next two to three days to run more labs to see what's going on. Um, Going to get you some antibiotics and try to get you better. And we're going to do the best we can to help you live and survive through this. You know, in that moment, I was like, 
Okay, so the next two to three days, I'm probably going to die. The doctor wasn't really telling me exactly what was wrong. He didn't necessarily tell me that I was about to die, but he also didn't tell me I was about to live either. The moment when I found out my grandmother passed away, it's a very, it was a very similar feeling. I didn't really feel anything. Very numb. Because a part of me, I wanted this. I didn't want to be here no more. I was homeless. I was broke. I was working a job, making $9 an hour with a master's degree. Like, I was tired. I was, I was just done with life in general. I had been through so much up to that point. And being in that hospital was just like, hey, you're not necessarily going to commit suicide, but you're not about to live. So I was kind of okay with it. Turns out I had E. coli. The doctor came and told me, he said, you're going to be fine. You're going to pull through. It's going to take some time for the bacteria to run its course, for the medications to run their course. Knowing how close I had just come, not even by my own choice, physically, but mentally where I was, it was like a reset button had been pushed on my mindset in regards to my will to live. And I've realized that I do want to live. I don't want to die. I do have things to live for. I realized that I still had a purpose. There's a reason why I'm not dying right now because I've come so close. So I decide after getting out of the hospital to go back to therapy. I also made the decision to take it very serious this time. I'm going to really be fully honest, transparent, vulnerable with my therapist, really take my healing journey serious, make it my number one priority. And that's what I did, seeking therapy and unpacking the trauma that I had been going through I unraveled a lot of trauma and pain in therapy. I learned that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have anxiety. It's okay to have panic attacks. It's okay to have suicidal thoughts. And it's okay to still be grieving the loss of my grandmother. I began to engage with the process of giving myself grace to just be human to be emotional, to be sad when I want to be sad, to cry when I want to cry, and to be happy when I want to be happy. Um, I realized I had survived so much up to that point. And I have to show up for myself first. I have to be there for myself first before anybody else can be there for me. I only drink in social settings. I don't drink just I don't drink to numb or change my mindset or manage my emotions at all anymore I've learned that alcohol is meant to be enjoyed should not be used as a tool to suppress and manage I'm telling this story because I know there are a lot of black men who have dealt with the pain that I've dealt with if not worse I share my story because I hope someone hears it and they decide not to take their own life. I hope somebody hears it and decides to seek therapy for help in the way that it has helped me. 
I believe your greatest downfall is the story of your greatest breakthrough. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline provides 24-7 free and confidential support via phone or chat for people in distress. They also have resources for you or your loved ones and best practices for professionals. You can call them at 1-800-273-TALK or 8255 or visit their website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. We've linked to these and other healing and safety resources in the show notes. Thanks for listening to You Had Me at Black. If you like what you just heard, leave us a rating or review wherever you're listening. It helps more people find the show. We're a podcast, but so much more. To join our community, The Kinship, or to attend our virtual live storytelling events and creative workshops, or to learn how you can partner with us, visit youhadmeatblack.com. You Had Me at Black is hosted and executive produced by me, Martina Abraham-Zalunga. Brittany Abrahams and Richard White produced this episode. Akira Charles and Chelsea Daniel made it sound good. And Naliswa Zungu holds us all together. Peace.